0: Jerusalem to Jericho, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he pa- he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled For any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise.
1: All right. Let's pray together. Let's ask for God's help. God, we need your help, not only to understand your word here, but to receive it and to respond and to let you affect us. Please affect our lives. Give us open hearts, open minds. Every one of us, wherever we are at in our relationship with you, we have a crowd of different people, different places, different needs. All at the same time, Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to us uniquely, impactfully, transformatively. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One night, a man is mugged. He's walking down one of the edgier streets in the neighborhood. Pick one, picture it. One that maybe doesn't have the best of reputations. And whoever you are, he's someone just like you. He's robbed. He's beaten up pretty badly. Everything is taken from him, everything he has, almost even his very life. He's left in a dark alley, bloody and unconscious. He's not going to make it till morning. But wait a minute, here comes someone. Just in the nick of time. Maybe someone that can help. And it looks like it's an upstanding citizen. Just the person you might hope would come by in a time of need. Maybe it's a social worker. Maybe an off-duty cop. Someone whose job it normally would be to care for people's needs. But, but hold on. Oh, no. Oh, no. He's passing by on the other side. I don't know, maybe maybe he was too scared to get involved. I mean, it's dark. I guess that's understandable given the circumstances. But maybe that's okay because here, here comes someone else, another person that might be able to help. Maybe, maybe she can help this man. And, you know, you notice she's one of those religious neighbors, attends a weekly Bible study, volunteers at a soup kitchen, Perhaps, but hold on a second. What's she doing? What's she doing? Walking around the body, passing on the other side of the street. I don't know. Maybe she's busy. You know, people have a lot to do in this neighborhood, in this city. What is going on here? What is going on? Will anyone help a neighbor in need? Will anyone here help a neighbor in need? And wait, here comes another person. Maybe he can... Oh, never mind. Never mind. It's one of them. Uh, Well, we better hope for someone else because he's not going to do anything. You know, she's one of those kinds of people. All they ever do is, Wait, wait a minute. Is that him stopping? And is that a tear in her eye that I see? Is he really kneeling to pick the man up? Going the extra mile to take care of him, to serve, to love, no matter what the cost? Could it really be? Could it really be me? It goes something like that, this story that Jesus tells, not only to the man in front of him that he's having a conversation with, but also to the whole crowd that was listening on. And Jesus concludes his story because, you know, it's not just a story. It's a lesson that's meant to penetrate straight into our hearts. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the answer, of course, was the last man. And the point, of course, is simply this. Be a neighbor. Dear friends, be a neighbor. We are surrounded by people all around us, aren't we, who are stripped, beaten up, And even left half dead emotionally, financially, relationally, sometimes even physically. One of the wonderful joys of being in a city, in a neighborhood like this, is its density. You really do get to rub shoulders, sometimes all too literally, with strangers, with neighbors, with friends which also means you're much closer to people's lives, even lives that are very much different than your own. But it also means this. We're on the hook, aren't we? Because you see, you know. Or at least you see and you know if you choose to see and know and not pass on to the other side of the street. Will you, dear friends, will we as a community, dear friends, be a neighbor? Love our neighbor. To show mercy, to use the word that the expert of the law used at the end of the story in verse 37. Mercy, which means relieving a person of suffering, lifting them up when they're down. Being a neighbor to those with physical and material and emotional needs, feeding the hungry, protecting the defenseless, clothing the naked, lifting up the poor, liberating the oppressed. Will we be a neighbor? And the masterful thing about Jesus' story is all the amount of details that he gives that helps us to understand what loving as a neighbor and being a neighbor is even like. He shows us through this Samaritan kind neighbor that a neighbor first and foremost looks. Verse 33, we're told in this story that when he saw him, this man half dead and beat up on the ground, when he saw him, he took pity on him. We've talked about this in the past, but the original ancient word that's translated here, pity, literally means feeling it in your intestines. It's when you notice something and it hits you in the gut. You feel it. But it starts with seeing it. Do you see the needs of people all around you? Do you choose to look to notice? Do you slow down enough to notice? And do you see not just needs, Do you see people? Do you see people in poverty struggling with depression, addiction? Do you see hunger and illiteracy? Do you see workaholism? Do you see racism? Do you see cancer? Do you see the orphan, the neglected senior, the person struggling to communicate in English, the person who knows English, but is deeply lonely and can't communicate? Do you see it not just out there in the streets? Do you see it right in here? Neighbors to your left and to your right, and dear friends, do you see it right in here? In your own life. Brokenness and need. A neighbor looks, a neighbor feels, feels it in their gut. Do you let it penetrate your heart? A neighbor gets her hands dirty. The Samaritan in the story literally got his hands bloodied up, bandaging wounds and pouring oil to comfort this individual. Serving in costly ways. Offering personal sacrifice after personal sacrifice. And I'm not just talking about financial sacrifice, though that was significant two denarii that he offers up at the end of the story is worth two full days of working wages. But the sacrifice also includes the sacrifice of personal comfort. He gave up his donkey, put the man on top of it, which meant what? He was walking Who knows for how long. The personal sacrifice of time. You see, a neighbor lingers. The Samaritan, he stayed all night with him at the inn. See, mercy isn't just giving of physical resources. That's helpful. But sometimes the hardest thing to give is five minutes. Or five weeks, or five years of your life, a listening ear, a friendship that does not feel reciprocal at all, kindness that sometimes goes unthanked, loving a stranger, welcoming people that have very little left in their hearts to welcome you, and maybe you feel like that today. neighbor shows commitment. Even telling the innkeeper here, look after him when I return. I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. See, he's supporting the man long term. It's not an in and out, hit and run kind of thing. That's one of the wonderful advantages of being a neighborhood community, which is you're not just commuting out to love people. You're drawing people in. You're seeing people not just on the weekends when you do community service projects or when you have appointments with one another. You're bumping into each other at the grocery store. You're saying hello and you're building relationships in the produce section, at the 7-Eleven, in the parks, on the streets. You have time. You have opportunity at least for a longer-term commitment to each other. Commitment that also invites personal responsibility. See here, the Samaritan says, I'll be back because this now is my problem. Because this friend really is me. It's a neighbor here, a neighbor that loves across boundaries. You see, so often we look out to people, and especially in a widely diverse neighborhood like this, it's really easy, isn't it, to say, Well, the needs are just too complex. And to serve would just be too hard. Here's a neighbor who jumps on in and figures it out as he goes. Too hard maybe because you're called to love a person that you might not be comfortable with. Maybe you even consider them an enemy. Someone that's personally hurt you or maybe someone who represents a group of people who have hurt you. Jesus says love. Too often we say that person is too different from me. We have nothing in common. Jesus here in this story shows us a love that overcomes socioeconomic barriers, racial barriers, Even religious barriers. You see, Samaritans were among the most hated people among Jews in the first century. They were regarded as ethnic half-breeds, religious compromisers, people who have sold out, people you don't even talk to when you pass by, and here Jesus makes him the hero of the story. This Samaritan who reaches out to an apparently Jewish man in need and says, it doesn't matter. You're my neighbor, and I am yours. See, here's the problem, friend. The call is clear. And man, the needs are clear. I don't mean simple. I don't mean easy to tackle. I don't mean it's obvious all the time of what to do, what to know, what to do. But to say we're called to love, we're called to be a neighbor, in and of itself, is not so new. But we don't want to do it. Or at least we have a hard time doing it. And you know, Jesus gives us so much compassion in this story because he knows this. In fact, he's dealing with a man himself in front of him who is being resistant to the very call to love that we're marinating over today. One of the repeated themes in this passage is how much we do try to avoid this call to love. You see, Jesus is teaching, he's doing his thing in the neighborhood, and this expert of the law comes and approaches him. This is probably a religious scholar, a person who's not involved in civil law, but rather Jewish religious law. In other words, he knows his Bible really, really well, and he's probably something like a religious conservative who sees Jesus as a total liberal. This story of grace that says God will love you even in your mess was just too much for him. So he comes to Jesus, we're told, to test him, to trap him, to give him a trick question. He asks, how can I inherit eternal life? Which doesn't mean, how can I live a very, very, very long time? This was a Jewish phrase that was used to describe perfect life. Life as it was really meant to be what do I need to do to live the life that really would be life to the fullest? What do I need to do to be truly happy, to know that God is happy with me? Jesus says, well, what do you think the Bible says, the law says? And he responds in a way that was common to Jewish rabbis. This is what God requires of you. Love God with 100% of your heart. 100% of your mind, 100% of your soul, and 100% of your strength, 100% of the time. And, as if that weren't enough, love those to your left and to your right, your neighbor, with all the power and the joy and the eagerness and the thoroughness with which you care for your own needs. In other words, there's your answer You want life, love, perfectly. How about that? How are you going to do that? Be a neighbor, sacrificially, with commitment. What What did we say? Getting your hands dirty, letting it hit your heart with open eyes, lingering over the needs, crossing barriers, love like that, perfectly. How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? And so this man here starts getting defensive. Verse 29, we're told he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to prove, "I, I ain't all that bad, and maybe some of us are doing that right now. Maybe you're saying, it's a dangerous world out there. You have to understand. Or maybe already you started to run down this long list of, he can't possibly really mean that because these are dark alleys. You know, they're they're really bad news. Or are you really saying I just need to be stupid? Are you calling me to be stupid? Or I've got kids. I've got to protect myself. I have to protect them. Many, many things that arise in our hearts. I'm not saying some of those things are not legitimate. But dear friends, can we honestly reflect and see within us how much work we put into avoiding the call to love? Justifying ourselves. In this case here, this religious scholar doing everything he can to make this an academic discussion. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well who is my neighbor t- tell me a little t- let's talk about neighborness <laughs> what what is what is what getting philosophical keeping it way up here so that it doesn't touch down right here and so you don't have to do anything right here are you doing that with god keeping yourself at a distance from being convicted And I mean that word kind of like how we use it in the law courts, convicted like a criminal because we don't love like we ought. Because we break God's law of love, every single one of us do. You might hope and think that maybe God grades on a curve. You might think you do your time and do all right. But dear friends, we don't love like we ought, do we? We don't love like we ought. And here's good news. Jesus knows it. He's so gentle and so gracious. I mean, he knows he has this guy cornered. And he could have said, look, man, stop beating around the bush. You don't even want to love your neighbor, do you? He could have pinned the man down and said, look, stop lying to me. And just blasted him, but he doesn't. Instead, he tells a story. A story. To get at the thing behind the question. To get at the thing behind the thing. In other words, to get at the man's heart. And he says, let me tell you a little bit about what it's like to love. Imagine yourself out on the street on a dark night. And so it goes. Jesus doesn't give up on people that stink at loving. Jesus doesn't give up on you and me, though He has every right to. He moves in, and He asks hard questions, and He says hard things like, love perfectly, be a neighbor, give it a shot. Why? so that we can start being a little bit more honest about our total inability to love. See, here's Jesus' genius. The thing He's trying to get us to see is that we can't love like this. Not in our own power. Not in our own wisdom, our own strength. Not with our own perseverance. Not with our own commitment. We can't love like this, certainly not if it's motivated by guilt. Anyone feeling guilty here? We've been talking about loving our neighbor, people in need, caring for others. Maybe you're starting to think, well, I don't really do that. You're starting to feel bad. You're just starting to feel icky about yourself. That's not what he's after. Not trying to drive you into just simply feeling guilt. And certainly not simply trying to motivate you with religious duty. Isn't that part of the point of... Putting this Levite and priest, these religious leaders in the middle of the story here that just pass right on by. That was their job. And yet they don't do it. Jesus is trying to get this man in front of him to ask one more question. Which is, who can possibly love like that? And how can I find the spiritual strength to love like that? That, Which if he would have gone there, then Jesus could have replied, as he does all throughout his ministry, as we read it in the New Testament, could have replied, it's only possible by the grace of God, it's only possible by my love flowing through you, follow me. Jesus humbles us, as it's been said, humbles us with the love that God requires to make us hungry for the love God offers. And only then will we live the love that God commands. You see, Jesus tells this story and the inevitable question that comes before us is what if you were lying on the road, what would you want your neighbor to do for you? What if you were on the road bleeding to death? What if your only hope... Was a surprising act of compassion from a sworn enemy? What if you were shockingly rescued by someone who owed you nothing but rejection? Dear friends, have you heard another story? The story of a God who came onto our road. Not by chance, but by a plan that was set out before the creation of the world. A God who himself left the most exclusive gated community in the universe, heaven itself, and moved into the hood, into a world of brokenness, suffering, pain, and loss, our world. And when he, in the person of Jesus, came to us, he looked and he did not divert his gaze. And he let it sock him in the gut. He took pity. And he didn't just risk his life. He gave up his life. For the sake of the very ones, you and I, who would strip him. And rob him. And abuse him and offend him. And leave him to die in all of our lovelessness. Loving neither God God. Nor neighbor, you and me. See, what's the power, what's the key to starting to love like this? First of all, it's admitting that you can't love like this. Second of all, it's to admit and to embrace that you can be loved like this by the true good Samaritan, by the true neighbor. Jesus Christ himself. Other preachers and teachers have put it better than me, so I'll just repeat what they've said. You'll never be a radical neighbor until you get a neighbor. You'll never love as a neighbor unless someone else neighbors you. You'll never be a good Samaritan until you see Jesus has been your good, true Samaritan. So how about it? How about it? How did the lawyer then respond? We actually don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. Oftentimes, the authors of the New Testament, they almost intentionally just leave us hanging sort of to invite us into the story and to say, if that were you, what would you do? Which is the question for every single one of us today. Which is, in fact, how Jesus ends and how we will end when he says, dear friends, dear church, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Jesus, it's an incredible thing not to be simply called to love like this, but to be loved like this. maybe that's the hardest thing right now for us because it's beyond our control to have open hearts to receive the deep love of Jesus, the neighboring love of Jesus that would change our selfish hearts and melt our cold and hard hearts. We're giving ourselves to you and even with this song, God, we're not just singing and praying that we would love but rather we want to sing about your love for us power of your love, bring yourself near to us. We pray in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Let's all stand and let's sing. The
0: blood that Jesus shed